0: Father, would you please be our pre- present with us and our helper over this uh, this next session? Would you please do more? Holy Spirit, I ask you to dig deeper into our hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask you to keep hunting amongst us, bringing the liberty of the kingdom of God to us. Mend our hearts, touch our bodies, Lift our spirits, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have heard of local houses of prayer? Oh, an awful lot of you. Okay. How many of you have come across uh, one of our team members and Eliza? A few of you have. Okay. Um, if things had gone to our initial plans, then Anne would have been with me. Uh, we would have been traveling from uh, further north. But actually, she's much further north. And uh, she's emailed this morning to send her greetings and say, would we pray for her? Now, a local house of prayer is what we call uh, our small-scale prayer-based missional communities. Now the question is, how do we see the the manifest presence of God? You know what I mean when I say the manifest presence of God? You feel it and you see it. Something happens. God is breaking out amongst your neighbors. How do we see that happening and multiplying? How do we see God breaking into people's lives? How do we see people? walking up by our, our homes and being overwhelmed by the, sp- the sense of the presence of God. So this is what we teach people to do. And uh, Anne is, indif- oh, I'll use a different word, unstoppable. Um, and yesterday she drove up to Lossiemouth in the north of Scotland. And while we're meeting here, she's meeting with people up there uh, and she is training them to set up um, the, the first batch, if you like, of these small-scale missional communities. Sometimes they're set up from within a church, but very often they're into church because it's a strategy across a, a region, and that's what she's doing today. Um, can we just pray? People up there have been praying for so long that we get up there to begin to release this in the north of Scotland. Can we just pray for her and what's going on there? Father, would you please release everything that you've planned to release up in the north of Scotland there, that communities might find a growing realisation of your presence, that you would send dreams and visions to people of who Jesus is. Would you cause righteousness to break out, healing amongst families, Restoration in broken communities. Let your kingdom come, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, we, we started to look at what was going on around us. Uh, Anne a- said to me, actually, at the coffee break, she said, do you ever sort of step back and look at what's going on and think... How is all this going on? How did we ever get here? I said, no, I don't occasionally step back and do that. It's where I live. Every day. It's what? God, how are you doing this stuff? And um we we took some of the, the principles that we were learning that God seems to that are biblical and God seems to like so much. It seems to loosen his presence amongst people. What would happen if we grabbed a few people and shared those principles with them and say, go off then to your homes and try and put them into practice. And, um, and so we did that and uh, it was a really good day. And they say, where do we go from here? What do we do with all this? And I say, it's up to you. Go and see what happens. And it was quite comical, really. They, they went off and um, this had been on a Saturday. And on the Sunday afternoon, somebody rang up Falder Brennan and spoke to my wife, Daphne. I said, I've got a bit of a problem. Why is that? Um, because it's sort of happening, but it's beyond control. And, and she said, what do you mean? She said, the sense of God's presence is rising downstairs in my house. Already. And Daphne said, That sounds wonderful. So, what's the problem? Well, it's really powerful in our living room. Okay, why is this a problem? Because my husband isn't a Christian. <laughs> Can I allow him in? <laughs> yes, that should be okay. Next day, she rang up again. I'm afraid it's got worse. What do you mean it's got worse? Well, the sense of his presence is overwhelming, but now it's halfway up the stairs. (laughs) So, okay, so what's the problem? My husband's in the bedroom, I won't let him out. (sighs) How do I get him downstairs? Well, if it had been me, I'd said, pull him out and throw him down the stairs into the presence of God. You know? So we started sharing some of this stu- stuff. But all the stories started coming back of what God was doing. So we said, let's do a day again, get a few more people. There had been about 20 on that day. And so we got a, another about 20 people invited, some, come along from all over the place. And we shared the same sort of principles with them and said, go off and, and try that. Okay. So, so they did. Um, and the story started coming back. And we went, oh, maybe we ought to, to do this a little bit more often. So twice a year, spring and autumn, we just put on a day, and people would come to Falterbran, and we'd train them. But o- over a few years, we trained nearly 2,000 people, but I have to say not all that was at Brown because I, I went off and churches came together in an English town actually, and 600 people came together there to, to be trained how to do it. Um, some of you may have heard of the fives. Anybody heard of the fives? Yeah, again, some of you. Okay, not many though. Okay, that's just, don't worry about that. That's just part of uh, uh, of a local house of prayer, part of what we do. Okay, and um, all the stories started coming back, and we said, well, that's really good. And of course, when good things happen, and God is doing good things, uh, people tell their friends, don't they? And so more people came. And so that was really good, and so several thousand people were trained until the last 18 months. And the last 18 months is almost... Indescribable, absolutely indescribable, and the stories of what it is doing now, I just say, so incredible. How about this? So this uh, where are we fifteen, sixteen months ago, I was in Kampala in Uganda, and I'd gone to speak. At a pastors' conference, but but forget about great big churches and thousands of people and so on. This was an incredibly poor church. The building um, not finished as a building. Actually, it's, it worried me every time I walked into it. I said, Lord, please protect everybody here. Don't um, you know? The roof is going to be held up by two concrete girders. I say two because they don't meet. There's a gap in the middle. And somebody's nailed a little piece of wood across the gap. <laughs> um, and uh, the offering, I was there several times for the offering, a little bit of maize flour or one egg. There's never any money. And yet, 60, 60 impoverished pastors being supported from there prayerfully and they all came together and we had a great time for a week and they slept on the concrete floor at night and there was a continuous bonfire behind the church and um and their maize was cooked um and just a little bit of of one or two other things one meal a day um that's how they live and it was a good time, but at the end, I found myself saying, we've we've missed why we're really here, but this is the only thing we've come for. Uh, we'd taken Anne with us, and uh, who I've mentioned, who's a lossy mouth at the moment, we'd asked her to travel with us, and to go to leave us uh, after the first day in Kampala, to go off to... Um, uh, where are we, West Uganda, um, where we'd made arrangements for her to teach some church leaders about these small-scale missional communities. And so she went off and she took a, a, a few women with her and a man as a sort of guard, um, uh, and they traveled overland uh, to go and do that. When they came back uh, on the afternoon of the day we were flying back to London, we were still saying, we just don't sense that you know, everything's been fine, but somehow something's not quite right. And the arrangement was that the, the team with Anne would pick us up from where we were staying and we go off somewhere and have lunch and a debrief before getting ready to go to the airport. And they turned up and they were so full of what God had been doing. And for Anne, she won't mind me saying this at all, It was the first time that uh, she had walked down a street and strangers walked up to her, knelt down and said, would you point me to Jesus, please? And the most wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things have been going on. And she and the team, the Ugandan team, were so full that we, we got into this great big... Um, four by four, and they couldn't stop talking. They're just falling over uh, one another with the stories of what they'd seen God do, and they'd never seen anything like it. And we were just sat there, just so thrilled to hear what they were saying. And then we we drew up to a compound, and there were some guys with with rifles, and they they let us in, which I thought was a bit strange, going for lunch. I we went in in a big building, and. They just kept talking and we got out and we were, we, we were taken to this big building that looked quite smart. Why not you go inside it? And the stories continued and suddenly uh, a Ugandan lady, young woman, very smartly dressed in a suit, came up to me and said, excuse me, are you Roy Godwin? I said, yeah. At the time I was wondering where my lunch was. Your meeting is scheduled for ten minutes at a time and it will be in the boardroom and off she went. And I said, hold on a moment, guys. Um, what meeting? Oh, oh yeah, I oh, forgot to tell you. Well, well, the phone has been going mad uh, on our way across uh, from, from uh, Western Uganda. And uh, there's some sort of meeting that's scheduled for you. And I said, well, I don't know anything about this. I haven't uh, arranged this or whatever. Um, you take it. Oh, no, I don't think it's like that. I said, well, what meeting is it? Oh, it's a a sort of one-to-one meeting, you and somebody else. Well, who is it? The archbishop. (laughs) He said, sorry. And with that, I'm fetched. But then the others are brought along and we're taken to the boardroom and all these people came. An enormous, the biggest the tallest, I'll put it that way, the tallest man I have ever met in my life walked in. With an entourage, they're all dressed in suits. And uh, he came over and said hello, Said, so pleased that we're able to meet before you fly out. Sat down, he said, right, you've got ten minutes. I said, am sorry, uh, ten minutes for what? Now, it turns out he's a major figure in, uh, in Africa, the, the continent of Africa. He was in South Africa speaking at a, a, a Pan-African conference when he had a vision the night before. And God said, you to give your apologies, you're to fly back to Kampala because I have brought somebody there to talk to you about local houses of prayer. Now he'd never heard of local houses of prayer, but he was so aware that it was God that he gave his apologies, left the conference, he was the main speaker. Flew back, had, uh, had rang his PA and said, you've got to find somebody who knows what these things are, who it is that's the Sin Kampala who aren't supposed to meet. And he said, well, how do I know? So she asked around uh, and one of the secretaries said, oh, I know somebody who's, who's gone to uh, West Uganda to teach about this with someone. Well, find them. And that's how eventually they, they trace them. So I get to meet them. Got ten, what do you mean? Well, um, I've got to fly back in a few minutes. We've got 10 minutes. Tell me all about local hazards of prayer. And I said, no. He said, pardon? I said, no, don't you? Um, let's talk about Jesus instead. And with that, the Holy Spirit came. Okay? And uh, and the 10 minutes went like 30 seconds. But the Holy Spirit just fell on him. And he said, the, the guys that were with him were the with the board. Of, so this is a denomination, okay? Not an Anglican archbishop. A uh, huge denomination. 4,000 congregations in Uganda. Uh, an amazing work. But God spoke to them there about their role, what God wants to do with them. And he said to me, at the end of the 10 minutes, uh, as a denomination, we've got to bring you back. You're going to have to spend nine weeks here, and we want you to do this, that, and the other. And no, I'm sorry, I can't come back. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm not coming back. But I'll send her, I pointed at Anne. He was, what? <laughs> um, and uh, so we sent a few details about local houses of prayer. Now, that was 15 months ago. Since then, poor old Dan, up in Mass now, has been over, in, in the last six months, in Africa, three times. Uh, God started moving at a national level across Africa. And national leaders started to, to connect with each other and, and, and said, uh, how, how can we get this moving in our nation? And so she's been over three times. And what they did des- decide was, we will meet as nations with a common language so we can be trained in our common language. So we had a Portuguese training conference and an English-speaking conference and uh, a particular version of, um, of another African, uh, I can't think of the name of it, language. Uh, oh, and four times, and, uh, and a French one. so that's over the last six months but i got an email which was thrilling on the uh, 2nd of january from the archbishop saying we're just so thankful this is broken out in africa we are praying that these small-scale missional communities may come to every community in africa because they are spreading like wildfire, and in every single place where they have started, the kingdom of God has broken out with fire. That sounded intriguing. Now, we're getting uh, constantly reports from all over the UK, but we're also getting them now from uh, Australia, from the States, uh, across North America, uh, my wife was speaking at a conference a year ago in Alaska. When she got there, she discovered there were networks of these communities using our material. We'd never met them, didn't know about them. We said, come on, Lord, keep doing this stuff. But I got a couple of reports this, this week over the last few days. One of them was to, to, to tell us and to encourage us. and gave us the name of a guy. It wouldn't mean anything to you at all who had a family and a piece of barren land. And that's all they possess, a piece of barren land. And the family was starving. And they heard some of the stuff that we were teaching. It's only biblical stuff, okay? Um, But it's the way you put it together and ask God to come. And they decide they're going to start praying in a different way and speaking in a different way. And they took the barren lands and they called the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God to come and break out in power. They ded- dedicated the land to the Lord. They spake blessings into it a particular way and prayed. And it is now producing an incredible mixed harvest that will uh, satisfy. But of course, they're, they're telling their family, their, 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 their broader family, the community, know what's going on. And it spreads, and it spreads, and it spreads. Got another one from uh, uh, a church pastor. How many of you here are involved in church leadership? Quite a number of you, okay. Okay. Got uh, an email from a pastor uh, on Thursday telling me of four couples, okay, only one of them, I think, Christians, but four couples in the midst of divorce proceedings... But in the community, they'd started these missional groups. And um, these four couples have stopped the proceedings. Have found that, uh, that three of them, that are definitely not Christian, um, have found a, a new basis, they think, for making a new start, but are looking for some help. And, and then the one couple have approached the church and asked for counseling and help to make a new start. This is all part of the kingdom of God breaking. We like this stuff. And we like it when we have dreams and visions. So um, in three months' time, I'm flying off to um, Australia at the invitation of the Anglican Church in Australia. Why? Because a bishop had a dream in the night about something he'd never heard of. Local houses of prayer, these missional communities. And God spoke to him about what he was going to do. The excitement, other denominations have joined in with them now. But the excitement of what's going to go on is amazing. And we look at all this stuff. Do, and do I step back occasionally and say, How's all? No, as, as I say, this is where we live. We just say, God, all this stuff that is going on, you know. And, and everything is about changed lives. Now in the first session I was talking, wasn't I really, about um, a father who is just so full of compassion, but is wrapped up in joy. And, and I don't know about you. See, I, I was taught that the, the, the whole central thing about God and the Godhead was love. But that's right, isn't it? God? Is love, but the problem is, if you say God is love and make that your definition of God, you've got problems because it sounds as though, okay, that's all who God is—a sort of a, a focal point of love. Well, anything goes really because God is love. I think it's very difficult because you you look at the damage in the world, the pain, the natural disasters ah, motor own disease, cancer, God is love. Children, God is love. But you can say that sentence, you know, differently. You can say, God is love, as opposed to saying, God is love. God is love. If we want to know what love is like, then we look at God and we discover that love is there. That's what love looks like. How do we know that God loves us? John tells us very clearly. This is how we know he loves us. He sent his son to die for us. Love is an action. God demonstrates his love. It's not about an emotion. A nice thing, nice and cozy. On a winter's night, God is love. But he's so much more than that. Abundant in grace. But, but what is it that is at the center and the heart of the Godhead, the Trinity? Well, obviously, love is that. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit does uh, frogs and uh, somersaults and tumbles for joy. 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 Joy is the big mark. Of God joy incredible God sized joy is at the heart of God and he can't help himself at the heart of Jesus just incredible joy why why did Jesus always get into trouble I mean here he is on his divine mission and uh, where do you find him then in the parties in the naughty places with the naughty company that's where you'll find him with the food and the wine that's where you'll find him with with the dregs of society in the middle of the party always in the middle of the party that was the big criticism wasn't it how could he not party he's full of joy And then his invitation to us is an invitation into joy. So uh, a little while ago, our chair of trustees was visiting and uh, we took her out for the afternoon and took her out for uh, an evening meal. Got home about 10 o'clock and um, we we had an answer machine. And the light was flashing and I thought, I'll just check that. And there was a manic voice on the machine going, I've seen it, I've seen it, oh my goodness, eyes, eyes. I thought, what? And I played it again. I'm not going to repeat what I just said, but that's (laughs) what it was like. And I played it again, thinking, what on earth is this? And when I listened, I thought, a little bit of an accent. I think there's a little bit of a Canadian accent in this. And we had a couple of volunteers with us from Canada for three months, uh, husband and wife. And uh, I said, "I wonder if it's them." And I thought, hmm. just gone ten o'clock. Should be okay. So I rang. I said, "Hi, I don't, I don't know whether you've called me. It's Roy here." Oh, I've seen it. I've seen it. We've seen it. We said, "Oh, we don't know what to do. Eyes, eyes." <laughs> and I couldn't work out what on earth they were saying. So I thought, I, they are only five minutes away by car. So I think I'll come and see you. Yes, 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 we've been waiting. Oh, okay. So I made my excuse, jumped in the car, five minutes drive, walked in, and they were pacing their living room. I mean, just could get, open the door, let me in, um, have a seat, sat down. They were pacing, and then one of them would sit down and five seconds later jump up going, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. I said, has there been something dramatic at Falderbranion? Yes, yes, yes. it was fire? No, no, no. Well, what happened? You asked us to do evening prayers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was their last day. They were leaving the next day after three months. They're so volunteers. And I said to them, a mature couple, and I'd said to them, Would you like to lead evening prayers this evening? Ah, they were so thrilled. Oh, thank you. See, so they they led it. Well, I had such a job to extract any common sense out of them at all. Um, But eventually I got the story. So there had been a couple in East Anglia um they' still are. but they're a couple in East Anglia again about 40 years old um, and uh, very 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 dysfunctional backgrounds been Christians for two years, quite a number of children and um, they got a particularly particular anniversary coming up and they spoke to their pastor and said, we'd like to go somewhere really quiet and safe (laughs) and tongue-in-cheek he said I know a place in Wales it's so remote nothing ever happens you'd be safe and secure there and so they'd never ever heard of Felderbranian and uh, so they travelled across in a camper van Um, and um, arrived and uh, they were Surprise, surprise, camping. But they came first um, just to have a look in the evening before they went and set up camp. And so they bumped into some guests who said, oh, what an exciting place to come. And they said, pardon? <laughs> oh, do you know, things that people talk about are still going on. And they were both at an utter loss. Don't, don't know what you mean. What do you must do? No. Oh, you come to morning prayers tomorrow morning. And that was the anniversary. So I said, all right, we will. So they turned up the following morning, but they got the time wrong. And they arrived just as it finished instead of when it started. Now, that would be a bit irritating, wouldn't it? But there you go, they come to sp- sp- spend time at Falterbrain. They both doubled up in pain and grief. So they missed morning prayers and they couldn't understand it so the the team started uh talking to them and and said, well, be all right you know you you're here for some time, and God can meet with you. What do you mean God can meet with us and I said, "Have you read the stuff in the Grace outpouring? Can I just mention that from I hate mentioning my own material um but uh I know a lot of you have read the grace outpouring can i can I just tell you?" but it's just coming up to 100,000 copies sold. And um, not me, him, okay? We, we say, thank you, Lord. I'm, I'm utterly stunned, but uh, another major book is coming out in the autumn, and what the publishers would like to do is say 100,000 are sold. So if you fancy buying another copy and giving it to somebody, that, that would be wonderful and much appreciated, okay? Uh, You heard about the great? No. Well, you know, no. So they gave them some information and they drove off up on the hill where they could get a signal and um, downloaded the book uh, onto her phone. He downloaded some Christian music that they told him about. Lovely sunny weather, as it usually is is in Wales. Do you know what the forecast at Falderbrennen is today? Snow. So um, they laid on the grass in front of the high cross, not knowing anything about it. Just laid down during the day. And she listened all day and went right the way through the grace outpouring. Now the thing is, she wasn't saying, my goodness, I don't know who this person is, but they wrote a wonderful book. She was saying, I didn't know God did this stuff. I didn't know God was like that. And her husband was there um, listening to the music, just immersed in worship. And middle of the day they uh, went to uh, midday prayers and then they had some lunch and then they went back and laid in the grass, Uh, got very sunburnt (laughs) noses, And um, so that was, that was great. And then they went to evening prayers. Now, I've told you a little bit about them. Okay, she's called Kerry. And Kerry uh, is a blind lady. And I went into evening prayers, first time ever, the, these volunteers, and it would be the last time, taking evening prayers. And they go through it. And it comes to a point where uh, people pray and say, Lord, wherever spiritual, emotional, physical darkness touches me, I trust you to lighten it. At which point the Holy Spirit fell on everybody there. And people are crying apparently and weeping and calling on the name of the Lord. And um, Carrie on the other hand falls to her knees holding her eyes crying out my eyes hurt, my eyes hurt which causes the husband of the volunteers to be in a panic. What did I do wrong? What's happened? And then Kerry fell on the floor full length, crying out, stop it, stop it, my eyes hurt, my eyes hurt. Meantime, people are being healed just spontaneously. The presence of God has broken out. But then the wife of of the couple, bends down, took hold of Kerry's arm, And said, it's time for you to get up now. Helped her to get up. And said to her, open your eyes. Carrie opened her eyes. And then the noise is going on because of what the Holy Spirit is doing, everything. And she turns towards um, the, the volunteer and says, see that man over there? I really like his shirt. At which point the whole place sort of stopped and stared and then she turned and said, you're my husband. Wow, she said, look at his grin, which everybody did. Well, you can imagine what it was like. You can imagine what it was like. Absolute pandemonium. So, thank you. Thank the Lord from my point of view. Uh, she's now, Roy and Daphne aren't here, but I know Roy will be here in the morning. Would you be able to wait in the morning because they, they will uh, leaving to go back. Um, Would you be able to wait so he can meet you and interview you? And said, yeah. So they'd never seen, the volunteers never seen anything like this. They're just so thrilled and excited. I told you, the best things happen when I'm not there. Which I think is really cool, really great. Because nobody can say it's anything to do with us, can they? It's, It's about God. So couldn't wait for the next morning and I met them and I talked to them and interviewed them and so on. And I was a little bit concerned because her eyes were all over the place. Just didn't stop. And I thought, can she really see, if I'm honest? And I said, tell me about your eyes. She said, I'll have to learn to control them. She said, (laughs) she said, but... I can't, I just can't, I mean, look, 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 look. i look through there, look through that window, and oh, look at the colours on the hillside, and oh, is that Heather? Yes, that's Heather. Oh, look at the colour in the Heather. And she was just so full of it, she so excited. But they were going home, and I kept on saying, I, I'm, I'm sorry to delay you, you know, I know you'll want to go, no, no, it's quite all right. And, uh, and anyway, I said, well, are you in a hurry to go? No, not really. Went, Hang on, they've got young children. There's something I'm not very happy about. Something I don't understand. And they just sort of sat there, and somebody brought us in a coffee, and they sat there. And I said, you've got a seven-hour drive ahead of you, eight-hour drive ahead of you. You're not in a hurry. No, no. How many children have you got? They've got loads of children. <laughs> okay. Not all of them by birth. Can you tell me why you're not married to go back and see them? Oh, well, when we go home, we'll go and see our pastor and talk to our pastor first. I don't understand why you do not go and see your children. And they look at me as though I'm stupid and say, and she says, I haven't seen them. I don't know what they're going to look like. I don't know what they do. What they wear. I don't know anything about them. I don't know what their habits are. I don't know how they eat their food. What if I don't like them? <laughs> I'm frightened. I'm frightened. So we were able to pray about that. But you know that's a reality that we often don't think about. We, we read the New Testament. We read of what God does. Of how people, we've talked about the Father who's so abundant in grace. We read the stories of the people who were the recipients of his grace. And we tend to to read it within the box of the words. But those people had friends, families, neighbors. Some of them had uh, people who would depend on their begging. And now they weren't going to be begging anymore. How is that going to work? there would be some who would be angry and say clearly it was all a put up job you were never disabled were you we've carried you around you could have walked at any time because there will be always those who doubt but the God who is so full of grace and joy says to us it's for you can I give you What you need? Can I supply you with what you need? Can I give my joy to you so that you are flooded and overwhelmed with my joy? Because everything that I have is available for you. Let's have a quick look at. This is uh, Luke 18. Again, you, you know the story too well. Don't, don't worry about looking it up. Uh, it's Luke 18, 35. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And I'll stop there, because I'm reading the wrong story, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I've sort of hopped there because he's blind, but actually we're going to chapter nineteen, verse one. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. That's the bit we want. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was rich. Okay. Now let's just think about this for a moment. Her Majesty's Customs and Revenue, this is not. Okay? This is at a time where there is an occupying presence in the nation. The taxes aren't for the benefit and the blessing of the people in Israel at the time. But the people are oppressed. There's a, an army, a foreign power present. They are the hated enemy. But here is Zacchaeus, a Jew, acting for the occupying power against his own people. He's a traitor. He's an outcast. And not only is he collecting what is due, but he has become rich doing it. But his richness lies in terms of his money, not in terms of who he is, what his relationships and status are. He is hated by the community as a turncoat. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. Ah, one of my favourite characters. <laughs> so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, okay, by name Now, bear in mind the very first few words. He entered Jericho and was passing through. But now he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus has changed his plans. His plans were that he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's not stopping, he's going through. But there is a lost son up in the tree. And Jesus knows. Because while the people have been hating Zacchaeus, who is res- responded by dragging even more taxes out of them. The father has been weeping over him. I want him back. I want him back. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to stay in your house. That's a good way of building a political reputation, isn't it? Go for the traitor and spend time with him. Really good. Uh, PR agent's nightmare. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when the people saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man. He's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. See, Jesus has honored Zacchaeus in his lostness. He has said something to him that is absolutely outrageous compared to the truth of who he is in terms of his action and his living in the eyes of the people. I've chosen you, Zacchaeus. I'm the son of God and I was passing through. But you have taken a a step. Even though all it was was you wanted to see. You made an effort, you climbed a tree. I'm stopping and I'm going to stay with you. Nobody would want to stay with him. But Jesus says, I'm going to stay with you. And in doing so upsets all the self-righteous people around him. So what does that what does that do to Zacchaeus? It changes his understanding of who he is, what his self-importance is, what his worth is. And in doing that, there's a conversion. Now, I'm not getting into the theological arguments of uh, evangelical conversion at this point. But what I mean is, there is a conversion, a turning upside down, so things suddenly work differently. Because the, the man who wants to get, 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 and get, says, I'm going to give, 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 and give. And what does Jesus say about this? And Jesus said to him, to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's an extraordinary thing that that we can receive the largesse of God. For this joy, this mercy, this amazing giving of God is available to be given towards you and me. That it might fly in the face of what anybody else says. And yet he gives and gives. Back to one of our prayer days. Can I tell you a story very quickly? There were an awful lot of people with us, as, as, as always, uh, on this particular prayer day. And as people responded, we had the ministry team at the front, and uh, I thought, my goodness, this is gonna take some time to, to, to work our way through all these people and minister to them. But then I noticed a particular lady, and uh, I said to Daphne, we need to call her forward and you and I need to deal with her. We'd never seen her before. Didn't know anything except God said, "You deal with her." And um, she stood in front of us, and well, what would you like God to do for you? And she looked at us, one to the other, one to the other, and she looked at Daphne, and tried to speak and really couldn't speak. And uh, I looked and I said, "Would you like me to go away? Just leave you with Daphne?" No, 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 no. And she said, "I have cancer of the bowel." Okay, but the thing is, the cause of that is the abuse I suffered as a baby onwards by multiple men. As a baby until I was fifteen, my Insides are wrecked about many, many operations. Okay. So we just ask the Holy Spirit to come. Break shame over her, says the Holy Spirit. But it's she who has suffered that. So we just said, in the name of Jesus, we break the power of shame over your life. And she went down onto the floor as though she'd been walloped with one of those great big concrete balls, you know, bang, she's gone. But she's fine, she's not hurt, but the Holy Spirit's all over her. And we moved on, and, and then we left there. But, but when we heard afterwards, the next morning, that um, when they'd done everything, and they'd moved all the chairs out of the way, and they'd hoovered, and were ready to leave, uh, she was still there, so they had to wait for a while, until she was okay and could get up. That was fine, didn't know who she was, where she was from. But a week later, we went in. Um, and the officer was saying that there's somebody, Roy, trying to speak to you on the phone. It's a woman. But um, we, we think it may be a demonic situation. We can't work out what's going on. Um, and we've passed around trying to deal with this. We don't know what to do. Um, apparently she's on the phone again now. We, are you willing to speak to her? I said, yeah, okay. So I took the phone. Um, Is that Roy? Yes. And all this stuff going on. And I said, just one moment, in the name of Jesus, I command the peace of Jesus to come upon you. And then there was this great big sigh. Oh, thank you. That's what I've needed. Goodbye. Oh. (laughs) Hi, okay. So, next prayer day, there's this lady again. Comes from Cardiff, two hours away from us, where I shall be tonight. And... uh, she says, can I just tell you what, what's been going on, what's happened? Yes. She said, well, I, I'm under special care. And um, she said, when I got in the car to go home, I, I sensed God saying to me, look at your colostomy bag. I, I'd not thought of her having a colostomy bag. And, and she thought, oh, I can't be God. So of course she didn't and uh, a bit further on, have a look at your colostomy bag. It, it, this kept going on, she could say, God will you deliver me from whatever dirty thing is saying this to me? But when after several hours she got home, here it goes again, look at your colostomy bag. She said, so I went and looked at my colostomy bag. Um, and, uh, and she said with a big smile, and it was beautiful, clean and pure, I said, thank you for telling us that. Uh, she said it was on its ribbons, but it wasn't plugged in. She said she didn't know how it come unplugged, perhaps when she fell down. So she went to plug it in, but she couldn't plug it in. So she went into the bathroom where there was a good mirror, and uh, she went to plug it in, but she couldn't plug it in, and she was looking, got another mirror, was trying to work it out, no flap. And she was fairly worried, so it's uh, late evening by now, couldn't call her doctor hardly slept overnight, very, very worried about what would be going on in her insides. Call the GP and uh, the, the reception said you better come in immediately, don't worry, he'll sort it out. Go straight in to see the GP who says oh, I'll put it in for you. Oh, What what what's happened? There's no opening. But, well, I don't know. I think you better go straight to the hospital. Don't know what's going on in your insides. Rings up. This lady has had 19 abom- abominable, ab- <laughs> abdominal, abdominal <laughs> operations, same surgeon, University Hospital in Cardiff. Uh, goes through to the PA, the doctor does, better bring her in immediately and he will see her straight away. He's done all the operations. Okay. So she goes straight there, he examines her. Well, what's going on? And where have all your scars gone? And all her scars, 19, that word again, stomach operations, <laughs> uh, all the scars are gone. But when she was, how old would she be now, early 40s perhaps, but when she was in her early 20s, she had a caesarean section, that scar had gone as well. So sends her off for x-rays, for a scan, um, comes back together, gets his team together, who've been involved over years with her. So she said, I thought you'd like to see this. And I asked her if I could take it and scan it, which I did, so I have a scanned copy of the original. And uh, he produced a letter saying this lady came along. I have been responsible for 19 operations on her abdomen. I am not writing about her history in this letter. She was referred by her GP in an emergency because she sensed something new had gone on in her body. And my team and I have examined her and concur that she's quite correct, something has gone on. In fact, everything we've done in 19 operations has been reversed. And her bowel, now this is the interesting word, which we had said was irredeemable. That's an interesting word. Your bowel is irredeemable. Appears to be working perfectly. My team and I concur that this is the situation, but neither my team nor myself can offer any medical explanation whatsoever <laughs> as to how this may be. Okay, right now I want to say to you, I don't care what's, uh, what's happened to you, how hurt you've been, how sick you may be, what's going on with you. God is a God of unlimited power. And he can meet with you today. He can do extraordinary things with you today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you're able to, and if you would. Holy Spirit, I ask you to be released in power because Jesus is alive, because he's enthroned at the Father's right hand, because he's exalted to the highest place, that his name is the highest name, that he has won our freedom, our life, our future, our liberty. And because Jesus is life, Holy Spirit, will you come and move with power and enforce God's rule here in our hearts, in our bodies, and in our spirits. Come and do a new thing with us, Holy Spirit, and loosen healing amongst us right now in the name of Jesus. And I don't care whatever prognosis has been spoken of you, whatever has been said, you may be, be troubled by an irritating pain but or you may have a disease that is with you, whatever it is. If you would like Jesus to come, his power, his authority to be loosened afresh at work within you, I'm going to invite you to start coming forward right now, please.